Welcome to The Weekly, a podcast brought to you by Calvary Bible Church. I'm your host, Jay Ewing. I'm on the staff on the Erie campus. If you don't know me, love to meet you someday soon. Just introduce yourself, email me, or say hi. We're going to have a great show this week on The Weekly. We've got Thomas sitting down with us in a really incredible last past Sunday here at Calvary. This, uh, the work of God among us and just seeing that, it's amazing. All right, you need to go to CalvaryBible.com. Click your campus. Click what's going on in your neck of the woods. A lot of things happening here at Calvary. Tonight is actually the annual meeting when we hit record on that, the most important meeting of the year at Calvary Bible Church. Hope you're a member at Calvary and you're there. All right, Thomas, what else am I missing on the, the news front this week? I think we've got a lot coming up. It's going to be good. It's going to be a good May heading yeah. into summer. Lots of fun events. It's going to be a lot of fun events. Man, we got the Zoomerang Kids Week on all three campuses. You want to sign up your kids there. we got Maranatha Middle School Camp. CIY, which I love CIY. High school. Long ago, when Jay had hair and little facial hair, he was at CIY as a high schooler. What, what does CIY stand for? Christ and Youth. Oh, Christ and Youth. And it's the MOVE Conference. And actually, my youth minister who led me to the Lord, both of them actually work for CIY now. Really? Yeah. And one of them's ahead of it. Oh, that's interesting. I love these guys and I love these gals at CIY. And you will not believe how many people first come to know the Lord through that ministry. Secondly, get called into kingdom work. Not ministry, but kingdom work. Intentional living among the kingdom, in the kingdom of God. It's going to be great. So, Calvary Bible, go to calvarybible.com. Click your campus, sign up today. we got women's ministry kicking off their summer series as well. Men, men's groups always ready to have men jump in and life groups. Let's be done with the announcement. Yeah, let's be done. All right, here's my first question. My first question of the day. Let me first settle in here. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, right. my goodness. That's amazing. Jay, you have a pickup truck. Yes. And I've <laughs> seen you drive your pickup truck. Yes. But I've rarely heard your pickup truck <laughs> <laughs> until recently. So tell me what you did to that thing. Hey, you know what? Thomas just cracked open a Red Bull. <laughs> Which, I love Red Bull. It, you know what? Let's be honest. My pickup truck is a reflection of my middle school years. Just as Red Bull is a reflection <laughs> of my middle school years. If you know what, what, want to know what Jay's heart language is when he was in early high school. Red oh, Bull. Everyone's wondering. <laughs> Red Bull, Mountain Dew, and great sounding trucks. Okay, so. <laughs> I came from Texas. So okay? The other day. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw your truck and it was dragging its tailpipe behind almost, it. Almost, almost. <laughs> close. And then oh, on Sunday. Yes. It sounded like the resurrection <laughs> coming out of the earth. Yes. What, what did you add to your truck? Uh, well, you know what? I went to the muffler man and he asked the most important question right off the bat. Not how much do you want to spend? But what do you want your truck to sound like? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's the most important question. Yeah. So as a, you know what, 16 years old, I had an F-150. My mom was awesome. I actually was very ungrateful for my F-150 baby blue, water tower blue. 
truck. It was a New Mexico farm truck. Beautiful. And it actually had, it had mud flaps that said Land of Enchantment, New Mexico. <laughs> <laughs> and it had a felt dashboard. <laughs> 79 farm truck, okay? Eventually, I took off that stuff, and she bought me dual exhaust for my truck. Your mom did? My mom did. The greatest mother in history. Yeah, she is a fantastic mom. And so it sounded pretty good in high school. However, at that time, Flowmasters were a little out of (laughs) price range. (laughs) This time around, my mom wasn't with me. But Kristen was. No, she wasn't. (laughs) (laughs) So my muffler was dragging, and I said, you know what? Dual exhaust, and how much do Flowmasters cost? (laughs) Yes. And uh, it's it's so good. It's just my high school me yeah. picking my dream. You know what I mean? Uh, it's so good. When you roll into the ball field, yes, it's going to rumble. <laughs> it's so good, man. Yeah, And you know what? I don't have anything fancy. I have a, almost a 20-year-old truck that I just got. And I love a, it. Yeah, no one needs a new truck. We all yeah. need new Flowmasters. <laughs> yes, we do. <laughs> I'm glad you appreciate them. You know what? My kids have not appreciated, nor my wife, as much as I thought they should have about my new exhaust system. They just don't understand its value. <laughs> but you know what? This goes with a lot of things that we purchase for ourselves. Yeah. It just can lead to fights and quarrels. <laughs> yeah. What causes quarrels <laughs> and what causes fights among <laughs> you? Perfect segue. You know what? You did preach on, we had a great weekend in Calvary. Let's talk about that first. All 25 baptisms yeah. around all three campuses. How fun is that? How amazing is that? Nothing's better than baptism Sunday. No, Communion Sunday is pretty close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the two sacraments we do around here are make those great Sundays, right? Yeah, baptisms and communion. But baptism, we get to pause, slow down, and hear the stories of what God has been doing among us. Yeah, that's and great. That is, that is really awesome. From the youngest of faith, where we're reminded, faith like a child, we need to remember that so often, to the oldest of faith. Those who have been captured by God and he has been patient over generations to capture them. How amazing. It's great. It really is. So when we talk about baptism, Calvary, why is baptism so important for us? Is that a rhetorical question that no, you're going to answer? I'm not, no, I'm, oh. I'm asking the, I'm asking Thomas. Oh, that's great. Um, well, like you mentioned, there's there's two ordinances that we follow because Jesus gave it to the church. So it's for the, the church's health and well-being. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is the living testimony of resurrection that God is still present in transforming lives. It's well, a celebration of what God is, is still doing. And for people to just stand up and say, hey, I recognize God's movement in my life. I have responded to it. I've turned from my life of sin and I've turned it over to Jesus Christ and I'm following him and my desires to follow him all the days of my life. Gosh. And then the church goes nuts and they're like, yeah, yeah, this is great. And then because they, it's a work of God. Yeah. Oh no. And then they, then they show us the work of God by bearing, being buried in his likeness of death and raised to new life. Yeah. It is the Easter Sunday story over and over again. And we had 25 of them at Calvary. It's great. Yeah, man. Wow. Yeah, the week after Easter. Mm, so good. So good, man. So if you haven't been baptized at Calvary, you need to reach out. Well, you can reach out to Thomas and I. We love to connect you with your campus pastor and how to get you on the list for the next baptism service because 
we want you to, we need you to. Actually, the community needs you to tell us the story once again of the resurrection. We need it. We're depending upon you to be reminded. So go do baptism. Get the, get her done. Right. Let's talk about James 4. It's good. What do you, you know, it was a quick preach. Only three verses. <laughs> we have baptism. <laughs> we have a lot of baptism. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, so what did you leave behind? What do you think as Monday morning rolled around, what were you thinking about James and James 4? Well, maybe just to quickly recap what the synopsis of it is. So James asks in that the would, beginning of chapter 4. That would be helpful. <laughs> a quick a quick rhetorical question that he intends to answer. So the question, you know, what causes fights and quarrels among you? And this has been in a, a conversation he's been having of how to actually live as Christians. So these new young communities who have followed Jesus and, and what does it look like to be doing that? Not just be called a Christian, but to actually live as a Christian we know there's going to be fights and quarrels, and so what causes them? And, and James says, "Is it not this? Like this is the rhetorical? Yes, it's it's this. This is the problem. Um, we have passions and desires in us, and we want what we don't have. We want what other people's what other people have, and we can't get it. We can't obtain it, and so we fight over it. And you use a biblical example. I mean, it's one of the earliest stories of the Bible with Cain and Abel." Yeah, because you know what James says is you know you you covet and you can't have it, so you murder, or you desire and you, you can't have it, so you murder, and you're like, whoa, was that was that hyperbole, James, or like is that something that's going on in the church that he's addressing? Right, and it, you know it's split. You know, New Testament scholars will point, some will point and say it's just you know hy- hyperbolic language to exaggerate what could happen. Um, I actually take the other side of it with other New Testament scholars that say no, I think. You know, this church is filled with early Christians, and some of that are zealots, right? So Jewish zealots that were, you know, during the time of Jesus as well. And and zealots are people who are politically affiliated or trying to take political persuasion and power, not by rhetoric, but by physical force. Yeah. And so you probably have some zealots in the community, and they're definitely willing to kill and be aggressive for the things that they really want. But the earliest story that we see was actually just Cain and Abel. Mm-hmm. So you have the first family of God, and you have a brother kill another brother. Um, you think that that's possible. And you think of you know King David, and, and David wants something that he can't have, which is he wants to cover up his sin, and um, it's not happening for him, and so it's, it leads him to, to murder. And so we had just said in Sunday service, you know, when, when I don't get what I think I should, I'm capable of doing the things I know I shouldn't. Oh, man, that is so true. That is so true. What's interesting about the Cain and Abel story is it's actually connected to what James, I think, is saying right before chapter 4. We didn't talk about this at all on on Sunday um, because James has a a flow of thought here. So he's talking about words, first with leaders, and then how we use language in the community. And then he kind of ends chapter 3 with this conversation on wisdom. So like, how do wise people use their words and then I think he's even talking about like how do wise people address quarrels and the way they look at the world around them. And, and the, the wisdom of the world, which he calls earth, earthly, unspiritual, and demonic, um, it's, it has, a, has bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. So the, the centerpiece of, of earthly wisdom is ourself. And so those who fight and quarrel, or when I fight and quarrel, I'm 
I'm definitely thinking about myself, my own passions, my own desires. I'm the centerpiece of the whole conversation. Mm-hmm. And usually I'm fighting with someone or quarreling with someone who also has themselves as the centerpiece, right? Yeah. And I, so, I'm pretty good at having the center of the, the universe revolve, revolve yeah, around yeah. me. Yeah. I just am. I'm so, used to it. So there's like, okay, so worldly wisdom and how you address quarrels says that, hey, there's bitter jealousy, selfish ambition, boasting, get what you need to get for you. Mm-hmm. And the result of that, James says, if you play out earthly wisdom, this is what flows from it. So if you add jealousy and selfish ambition together, what's on the other side, the equal sign, is disorder and every vile practice. So he says, okay, you, that, that wisdom is from the devil itself. And then on the other side of it is basically disorder and every evil or vile practice comes from this kind of wisdom and this kind of quarreling. So John, the apostle, picks up the episode of Cain and Abel, First John uh, chapter 3, where he's talking to the church about loving one another. He says, for this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. We should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one, so that's like earthly wisdom, and murdered his brother. So that's the outcome, the every evil practice. And why did he murder, John asks? Because his own deeds were evil. Mm. It says, but his brothers and his brothers were righteous. Mm-hmm. And that's what's actually the fruit of heavenly wisdom, James says. So you go back to chapter 3, he says, okay, but the wisdom from above, then he describes heavenly wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, good fruits, it's impartial, it's sincere, and a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So on the other side is is peace and righteousness. Yeah, a, a harvest of something. Yeah. How, so it's like Harvest of something beautiful. When we're quarreling, James like, be the wise person here. Like, know where, where the quarrels come from. They come from our own desires and passions. If you're going to fight according to the, the way of the world, being wise in your own eyes, that's going to lead to more dis, disorder and every evil practice. Mm. Like, think about that in your marriage. So if I quarrel with being wise in my own eyes, I'm going to cause more division, more discord, and more evil practices happening in my marriage or my family. Yeah. Or I change the way that I'm quarreling, and I start quarreling according to godly wisdom or heavenly wisdom, which is a totally different outcome. Yeah. Peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Yeah. It's, I, a, it's not don't quarrel. Like, it's a, this is a human existence. We're going to have disagreements with each other, right? Yeah. I think, you know, James is talking about primarily disagreements in the church, but I think all of this can just flow into whatever relationship you're in, roommates, family, neighbors, coworkers, you know, or at the church, um, they're kind of all the root, root issues. But, you know, you think, okay, so how does someone actually change the way they would quarrel based on heavenly wisdom? And, and I, would, I would just kind of break it down like this. Tell me what you think. So if I'm going to quarrel with the wisdom that's first pure, mm-hmm. first, I want to make, to the best of my ability, no quarrels about my failures. Mm-hmm. You know, so, like, I don't want to constantly be in fights with people because I'm failing. It says pure. So that's like the idea of being blameless. Mm-hmm. Well, if I'm always fighting about the faults that I've had, that's not heavenly wisdom. So what is the pure response if I am quarreling about a failure that I have? Because oftentimes it is a failure. It's like a miscommunication or I didn't do something right or I did hurt somebody. Right. Well, I think the pure and blameless response is to just apologize, mm-hmm. to like confess instead of trying to hide your sins. The pure response 
when we are quarreling about my failures is to say, hey, I'm sorry, I'm going to confess this, I'm going to ask for forgiveness. Um, I'm not going to fight to cover them up or fight to excuse them. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say, nope, the pure response is for me to take ownership of my faults, apologize for them. Yeah, it really is. It takes a level of humility. Yeah, yeah and I think that's what goes into like the peaceable piece. Is like the peaceable piece is, is the direct opposite of selfish ambition. Selfish ambition is, is me at the center point. What do I get? Peace has everything to do with relationship. Mm-hmm. And so if I'm striving for peace in the midst of a conflict with someone, then I elevate the value of the relationship as being more important than me being seen as right. So usually when I'm in a quarrel, I want to be seen as right. Oh, no doubt. hundred percent. Even Especially when I am right. Yeah. You know, that person's just not getting it. But someone who's peaceable says, okay, the higher value here is actually the relationship. Because mm-hmm. peace has to do with relationships with people. And so I'm going to value relationship with this person more important than me, you know, being right. Mm. Man. Which can be hard. That is so tough. It is really tough. Especially, I mean, it's tough when you're talking about just a biblical community, a local church. It's tough because we all have differing opinions, right? Different ideas of what this should look like. Yeah. But as you get closer and closer into the circle of those you love, like deeply love and care for or live with, this gets harder and harder, my friend. Harder and harder. So I think this is where... Obviously, James is just on the right. Like, if if you yeah. really want some of these great, if you want the outcome to be a harvest of righteousness and and peace, then these are the ingredients. And so he goes on with gentleness. Like, how do you how do you incorporate gentleness, especially when he's talking about how we use our words in the midst of a conflict? I mean, I think conflicts are already kind of hostile, and then you know, harsh words, cunning cutting words. Mm-hmm. Um, sarcasm. Sarcasm. <laughs> I mean, that's like gasoline on the fire, oh, man, right? It is. Yeah, totally. And so gentleness is, okay, I, I just refuse to use harsh words. I'm not going to use harsh tones. There's no place for name calling mm-hmm. or what we would say is like character assassination. Mm-hmm. So like the you are statements, mm-hmm. uh, this don't belong in my conflicts. Mm-hmm. And so I think there's a, there's a reality of, okay, check the words that I'm using. How can I, in the middle of conflict, have a gentleness mm-hmm. with me, a gentleness of spirit? And open to reason. I, I love that. I love that wisdom from a, from above is open to reason. No doubt. Which you're really good at this, Jay. That means you have to be a good listener. So if you're open to reason, it means you can't be primarily talking. You have to be listening. But oftentimes, when we're in a conflict, we're not listening to the other person. We're just we're just reloading, mm-hmm. and just waiting for them to get a break in the conversation, oh, and no then doubt. just unleash the arsenal on oh, somebody. That is so true. I think. What, what struck me with this gentle word and hasn't until this moment that in my men's group, we're memorizing Matthew 11 and he says, Jesus is gently and lowly and like gentle and lowly. And I think that's just a great, I was like, oh man, anytime I'm in a quarrel, the first person they should see in me is Christ. And the first person I should flee to is Christ. Like, that is crazy hard. That's crazy convicting, right? Like, that we reflect as Christians, and especially, yeah, we right now, we need to be gentle and among, open to reason, 
open reason to me to me also means listening, right? You made that point. But I think open reason means it takes time to come to a conclusion. Like I love that about sort of you when there's a big decision to make. You're not making it off the cuff. It takes a few days examining the scriptures. It takes, you know, we, we, we experience this even with mass mandates, right? You, I was so quick to say, this is our decision. This is my decision. And you're like, well, let's look at the Bible for a while. <laughs> let's pray, let's pray for this and pray about this and think about all these outcomes and what is the real outcome of this decision. And I think open to reason means in a quarrel, you've got to be open to space and time. That's good. Yeah, that's good. Because you, you want to know. I mean, I think that's where you're listening and you're learning. You're asking questions like, you know, what did you mean by this? Um, help me to understand. Is this what you're saying? Uh, if, if I were to say it this way, would you agree that that's how you Gosh, feel? That is so hard, my friend, especially when my, my pride is at stake. Yeah. Yeah. My, my identity. <laughs> it, it is counterintuitive, right? I mean, you right. just look at this and say, that's not the way the world thinks about it, which yeah. is just, I mean, James lays it out. Which, which outcome do you want? Do you want more and more disorder and more and more vile, evil practices? Mm. Or do you want seeds of righteousness and peace? Mm. I'm like, I want seeds of righteousness and peace. And so I think it's, once again, I think it's, it's drawing us to have dependence on Christ mm-hmm. because there's nothing inside me that wants to do this. Yeah. But Christ's, Christ forming himself in me yep. creates the appetite for me to say, okay, now I'm interested in, in this pure, peaceable, gentle open to reason kind of wisdom. Okay, so maybe it's just because I'm in the thick of reading Divine Conspiracy by Dallas Willard. And he talks a lot about sort of the Sermon on the Mount and what it means to have a a Christian ethic, you know, like a Christian way of life. I feel like James is, as as I'm reading it week to week, as I'm reading it actually day to day right now, I maybe have missed out that this is the ingredients for like, just a really deep ethic of who we are of like our identity does that make sense sometimes you read james you're like man that was convicting i'm just failing at all these things and more and more i'm reading james and thinking man he's inviting me to something bigger does that does that make sense to you yeah i think when we think of ethic it's you know to whom do you belong and to whom are you accountable to mm. and so families can have a different family ethic mm. communities can have a different, you know, communal ethic. Countries, cultures have their own values of ethics. And I think James is, like you're saying, it's so good that it's, I think, playing off of what Jesus taught in the Sermon on the Mount is, hey, here's the kingdom ethic. Mm-hmm. So you're going to live in a world that doesn't share the same values of these things. But you're going to live in a real world. And so let's talk about real-life examples of how the Christian lives out um, their faith. And so James, I mean, James is talking about everything, right? I mean, right. You're talking about money, trials, money, money, riches, injustice, persecution. Yeah. Oh, man, he's he's talking about the life that I really live. Yeah, no doubt. Which then I think becomes far more interesting as opposed to like some spiritual ideal, you know, idealistic, you know, endeavors. It's like, okay, here's the practical of how you treat your workers. Like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah. Like how we pay salaries. Yeah. Yeah. It's, okay, this is great, James. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so true. It's really hard. Like for someone listening, you know, James is asking us to do a lot. So how how would you say, Thomas, we week to week approach our lives to sort of receive what James is saying and live out what James is saying? What are some real practical formational steps we can take? That's a good question. I think, you know, we, we've talked about this before. Um, even how you phrase that, James is asking us to do a lot. And I think even taking that step in just a little different direction to saying he's, he's asking us to be a lot. You know, he's asking us to become who I think Christ has really set us apart to be. And we talked about this at Easter. It wasn't a James series message, but we know where this whole thing's going, right? Mm-hmm. So one day in eternity, we're going to be in heaven. Um, we're going to be removed from all of our sin. We're going to be completely forgiven. We're not going to be holding grudges with anyone. Mm-hmm. We're not going to be impressed with people's titles. We're not going to be impressed with the exhaust system they have on the back of their truck. <laughs> impressed. Uh, That's so good. You know? Yeah. And you're like, what, what are we going to be impressed with? We're really going to be impressed with Jesus and the work that he's done and what he's all about. And so for us as Christians, like, I'm just going to choose to live into that future reality mm-hmm. now. Yeah. Like, I can just start living that kingdom ethic, that kingdom reality now where I'm just not that impressed with people's titles. I'm just not that impressed with people's possessions. I'm really impressed in Christ's work in me and in, in others. No doubt. No doubt, man. This is a really good reminder that, you know, as we think about how to live out James, how we live out that, you know, we, we got to go back to the source. Christ is the source of how to, not only how to live, but how he lives through us, you know, the with life of Christ. We talk about that a lot too on this podcast, but you know, when you read your Bibles, it's not about what information I can gain is how can this information transform me? How this, how can God do something in me that I don't want him to do? Am I willing to allow that to happen? Super interesting to me. Yeah. Which I think is, is, I don't know. That's the prayers that we're praying, right? Like God, would you form in me one, these desires, this appetite for these things, and then the outcome that I can't produce in me. And, you know, James is so practical. He's already pointed out several things of what hinders our prayers, like doubt. Like, you don't have because you doubt that God's actually going to do these things for you. Um, I have hindered prayers because I'm not even asking. Like, I don't even have a prayer life. And then when I'm asking for my prayers, like, I just bring the laundry list of of me, essentially, mm-hmm. as opposed to, Lord, what, what do you want? You know, your will be done in my life as it is in heaven. Mm-hmm. And so I think James is getting even to the, the practical sense of when we pray. You know, don't pray with, or start praying, and then don't pray with doubt in your mind that God's not the one who's listening and active, and then put him at the centerpiece like of answering those prayers. Mm-hmm. Or would you answer this according to your will, of your goodness, what you would have for me? That's so good, Thomas. All right, Calvary, we're so thankful you're listening in this week. I know that feels really quick, but time flies when you're having a really good conversation. Hope you're having a great week, Calvary. Go to calvarybible.com slash what your campuses, click your campus, learn what's going on here at Calvary. Jump in, jump into people trying to live out this kingdom ethic, this Christ-centeredness that is growing always and fully knowing the Lord, knowing God, and loving others. I said that backwards, loving God and loving others. But anyways, Calvary, we love you. Talk to you very soon.